Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk and daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. We have been walking through a series the last little while off the book, Victory Over Darkness. And I hope if you haven't read the book, I encourage you to pick it up. It's a great read. It's very encouraging, challenging, and everything all together. Um, last week, we talked about forgiveness and how do we forgive people and how do we walk through forgiving others and what does that mean in our lives? Today, we're going to take another step and we're going to deal with rejection, talking about dealing with rejection in our lives. Now, who here has ever dealt with rejection before? I'm expecting everybody's hand. We've all felt some sort of rejection in our lives. Some point in our lives, we have felt rejected by someone or somebody, or we just didn't feel like we have measured up. I know in my own life, I've had personal friends who have spread rumors about me that, aren't, or that are false, and I've had to walk through that part of my life. I've actually had a family member say right to my face that they wanted nothing to do with me. And I thank God that that relationship has been restored and is healthy. But I've walked through rejection in my life. I've walked through insult and trying to figure out how do I heal and work through these things. But I do believe that in one way or another, every one of us has dealt with rejection. Romans 15, 7, it says this. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your instructions. I thank you, Holy Spirit, how you speak to us, how you guide us, how you lead us, how you convict us, and how you strengthen us. And so, Holy Spirit, today I ask you to open our ears and our hearts to hear from you, to encourage us, to challenge us, and Lord, also to heal us. And so, Father, I ask you to hide me behind the cross and let my words be your words. Speak through me today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. How many of you are perfect? Anybody? Nobody wants to raise their hand, and those that want to know their spouse is right beside them or a family member. So if none of us are perfect, then why do we expect perfection from others? What if all of a sudden we began to show grace and acceptance to others, the acceptance that we want to receive? Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Here's also a boost for us. Every one of you in this room, hear this word right now. You are accepted and loved by Christ. Revelations uh, 12.10 says this. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah and the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. This is where they're talking about the enemy being tossed down out of heaven 
And we have to understand, here is why when we talk about rejection, we talk on two sides. And we're going to talk both sides this morning. How do we deal with rejection and how do we not reject others? And as we think about one another, as we talk about not, make, not trying to raise this level of um, expectation on other people, when we accuse other people of things, when we judge them, when we criticize them, you have to realize something. You and I walk through a life where we understand that our battle is not against flesh and blood. And in the spiritual realm, there is somebody who is accusing us all the time. He's coming against us. He is accusing us day and night. And here's the thing for each one of us as we look around the room, as we think of our families, we think of friends and coworkers. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our help to accuse others, to criticize others. I don't know about you, but we don't need critics in our lives. What we do need is coaches. We need coaches in our lives. We need people who are going to encourage us. I don't need somebody in my life just to tell me the things I'm doing wrong. I will inform you of something I already know. Because if you were like me and like the average person... Who is your worst critic? I'm not your worst critic. I realize that looked really bad for a second. That's not what I meant. You know when you walk through a door, you just might as well stand there for a minute, let everybody realize and just... I am not your worst critic. I am my own worst critic, as I am sure you are your own worst critic. I don't make a mistake and then go, oh, that wasn't that bad. I usually make it bigger in my head than what it actually was. And so I don't need a critic in my life. I need coaches. We need people who will believe in us and help us and direct us. See, if you're wondering, Chad, what's the difference? A critic will only criticize you. They point out your faults. They tell you what's wrong. See, a coach is somebody who believes in you. I've played for coaches that have been so hard on me compared to other players, but they're hard on me because they see something in me. I have to be careful as I coach sports not to do the same, but it's immediately there when you see different skill levels that you're harder on one person than you are the other because of levels of expectation. Now, here's the thing. A coach that has a high level of expectation also believes that you can succeed at great things. A critic just wants to tear you down. They won't walk with you. They'll just insult you. Not only do we need more coaches, but we need to be coaches. See, when we deal with rejection in our lives, there's really only three ways to respond. Our world is full of this, um, this system of judgment and criticism that we walk through. And as you sit in this room, you will probably identify with one of these three systems. Because you only you have a choice when you hit rejection in your life. You can first, you can try to beat the system. You can try to beat the system. So you defend against rejection by trying to outperform everybody else. I will work harder. I'll do better. I'll make them look worse than me because then I am better. I feel good about myself because I try to beat everybody. I try to beat the system. The only problem with people that try to beat the system 
is you have a hard time coming under, under God's authority. You have a hard time coming under authority in your life because you need to be better than other people. Most likely, the beat-the-system people are controllers. And here's the thing. Most often, they're very insecure. Do you know it's hard to tell the difference between somebody who's prideful and insecure? Because the response is the same. If I'm insecure, I'm going to try even harder. If I'm prideful, I'm going to try harder. A lot of times, our outward expression is the same. If I'm really insecure, I'm not going to make you think that I'm insecure or I'm not going to let you talk down to me because I'm already so insecure. I'm so worried about what you think. But pride also comes across the same way. So you're either going to try to beat the system or you're going to give into the system. You're going to give into the system of rejection. And what does that look like? You walk around and in your mind and your expression, I'm just a loser. I'm not good at anything. And when we walk in that area, our efforts are always trying to earn approval, acceptance. And because of this, we believe that we are unlovable or unacceptable. And the hard part about it is when we give into the system, we will live a life of rejection and rejection because we're looking for approval so much. The third thing, the third response is to rebel against the system. I don't need you. I don't need your love. I don't need anybody. But deep down inside, we all know that we're craving the love and acceptance. But we build walls. And we refuse to acknowledge our need. The people that rebel against the system, they actually will rebel against God because they just rebel against everything. Now here's the thing with all three of these systems. No matter which one you're in, you can't win. There's no winning. There's no winning in the world system. But every one of us that's in the kingdom of God and we have our identity in him, And we know that God loves us and that we are his children. And here's the amazing thing about God. He doesn't have favorites. He loves every one of his children the same. Because he's designed each and every one of us perfect. The way he needs us, the way he wants to work through us. But how do I have my identity in Christ? How do I keep my identity in Christ and not in what others think? Well, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with someone who commends themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. See, if I only compare myself to your life. Maybe some of you will make me feel great. And then the next person will make me feel miserable. And we've talked about this before where you buy something new and you're all excited to show people until you find out they have something newer. 
when we compare ourselves to each other and not just walking in God and understanding our identity is in Him, we will always be seeking something more. See, we are loved and accepted unconditionally by God. Do you know it doesn't matter how many times I mess up? God still loves me. Do you know it doesn't matter how many, how many times I try something and fail? He still loves me. He still approves of me. He still accepts me. How many of us just desire that in our relationships, desire that in our lives? The hardest part is that we have it. We just have to get to a point where understanding that and believing that trumps the world that we live in. There is a necessary place in the body of Christ for each one of you. He's planted you right where you are. See, helping one another to succeed and encouraging one another actually helps us succeed as well. And it encourages us. When you encourage someone and help somebody, it actually brings joy to your life. That's why I truly believe if you want more joy in your life, if you want happiness in your life, begin to serve other people. See, the more we build up one another, the more we actually help build ourselves. We need to be coaches more than critics. Because soon as rejection comes, so does defensiveness. And defensiveness is actually defenseless. Defensiveness is actually defenseless. Because here's why. When you're defensive, it's for one of two reasons. One, you're wrong. I know, that's a hard one to hear. Anybody ever argue back and be defensive when in your head you know you're wrong? But instead of saying you're wrong, you will fight and argue and yell until you're like, you know, broken a relationship. But to admit that you're wrong, well, that's just craziness. Or have you ever started into it, realize you're wrong, and then just go, I'm too far in, I'm just going to keep going. I'm committed now. This is why defensiveness is defenseless, because if you're wrong, you don't have a defense. You're wrong. So you just say to the person, you're right. I was wrong. Try that the next time you're in the middle of an argument. Or before it even starts, and you know your spouse is not happy with you. And they come at you about something, and you know you're wrong. Try to respond with just... You're right. I was wrong. See how the conversation goes from there. I'm willing to bet, and I'm not going to bet. I understand. I'm not supposed to do that. But I am willing to bet that there would be a moment of silence. Because neither one is expecting that to happen in the conversation. The second thing is this. The second defense is this. If you're right... Now, here's the thing. If you're right, you don't need to defend. 
If you're right, you don't need to be defensive. You actually just remain quiet. 1 Peter 2.23 says, When they hurled their insults at him, this is Jesus, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judged justly. If you're right, don't defend yourself. Remain quiet. Too many times we try to defend ourselves, and the only way to defend ourselves in many, time, many situations is to actually talk bad about the person. And the only thing that does is make us look bad. A mentor once told me this as we were walking through a trial in our life. He said this to us. He said, character always prevails. Character always prevails. If somebody is talking um, gossip about you or saying something to people about you that is not accurate, really, when we get into those things, the only way to defend ourselves is to make the other person look bad and it doesn't make us look good. It's better to remain silent. And your character will prevail. Because as people know you and as the rumor spreads, eventually somebody is going to go, That doesn't sound like Chad. I think I'm missing information. And it will work its way out. And at the end of it, people will know that you didn't defend yourself. We don't have to respond to rejection by trying to beat the system or giving into the system or rebelling against it. The world system for determining your value as a person is not what determines your value. Christ is. 1 Peter 2.4 says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Christ felt the rejection. And our alliance to Christ, our Lord, is where our alliance should be, not to the world. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Where is your identity? Where is your hope? The world system sadly, is very influential in our lives, but we don't need to respond to it. We actually can have a choice. Because we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We need to find our identity in him. We need to turn our attention to the things that will build us up and establish our faith. Those are the things we need to concentrate in our lives. Those are the things that we need to have poured into our lives. And we need to remember and remind ourselves that I am a child of God. This is who I am. It's not what they say. It's not what they believe. It's not who they think I am. I am a child of God. Now here's the thing. Rejection is a two-way street. Rejection is a two-way street. I can receive rejection, which we all admit that we've received, 
And here's a harder one to admit. We can all give rejection. We can criticize others. We can hurt others. And so we need to talk about how to respond to rejection. But now we need to look at how to escape it when we are tempted to level somebody else with criticism or rejection. How do I think? How do I process? What do I do? Romans 14.4. These are some verses we should probably memorize. They're not the encouraging ones, but they'll definitely keep us accountable. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master's servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Who are you? Who am I to judge somebody else? See, it's before God that we're all responsible for our own character. See, I actually don't have to answer to you. I have to answer to God. And I know there's a part of that that's refreshing, like, oh, I don't, oh. But then we also stand before God, the one who sees everything. All of it. See, I'm not responsible for your character, and you are not responsible for mine. Because see, here's the thing, Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value Value others above yourselves. See, I'm not supposed to judge you. I'm supposed to value you above myself. See, I'm not to judge you, but I'm actually here to help meet your needs. What kind of family would you have? What kind of church would we have if all of us assumed the responsibility over our own character, not each other's, over our own character, and sought to meet the needs of those we live with? What would your home look like? What would my home look like if I wasn't selfish? And I live my life to make sure that my kids and my wife's needs were met over my own. What would your home look like? What would your workplace look like? What would our church look like? I would almost guess that it would be almost heavenly. But the trouble is, instead of devoting ourselves to developing our own character and to meet others' needs, we often give in to this world and Satan's prodding to criticize others' character and to selfishly focus on our own needs. See, Satan likes to tempt us, tempt us to focus on our rights instead of our responsibilities. I want to read a few examples to you, and I want you to think about this, and think about just, don't think about the other people in these scenarios. Think about yourself in these scenarios. When we think about our rights over our responsibilities, see, a husband may chirp at his wife because he thinks he has a right to expect her to be submissive. 
A wife may nag at her husband because she expects him to be the spiritual leader. Parents nag at their children because they think it's their right to have, their right to demand obedience. See, none of us can actually or choose or want to live in those scenarios. But what if we looked at it this way? Husbands, having a submissive wife is not your right, but being a loving, caring husband is our responsibility. Headship is not a right to be demanded, but an awesome responsibility for us to fulfill. Wives, having a spiritual husband is not your right but being a loving, supportive wife is your responsibility. And parents, expecting your children to obey you is not your right. But disciplining your children in the nurture and instruction of the Lord is your responsibility. Others' needs over our own. As Christians, as a church, as we talk about rejection, and I don't know how many of you grew up in the church, but here's something that we're not called to be. And I'm asking you, please, don't do this. Don't play the role of the conscience. Don't play the role of a conscience for somebody else. See, I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit knows exactly what he's doing and when to bring conviction to a matter of conscience. The moment somebody gives their heart to the Lord, so many of us believe that, oh, they should stop doing this, 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 and this, and this. And all that God wants is them to know that he loves them. Because they have felt rejected their whole life. And for a moment, they feel loved and accepted. They don't need some of us or one of us coming along as their conscience to tell them all the things that might be wrong in their lives. Because here's the thing. I don't want you to see the list of things that are wrong in mine. As God continues to work in our lives. Because I am unqualified. You are unqualified. We are unqualified for the tasks that the Holy Spirit works on. And when we try to step into that area, the only way it comes across is criticism, which leads to rejection. And I believe every one of us that have grown up in the church or actually just attend church, we would probably know that we've all experienced this at some point in our lives. And I don't believe there's any believer in this room or in our past that tried to do something hurtful intentionally. But does this mean that we are to never correct someone? No. That's not what we're saying. It's not what we're talking about. Now, I will say this. If you've been waiting through this message for this point right here, that you're waiting for me to say, no, no, we still correct people, and you're like, yes, yes, I would encourage you to pray that through. 
Make sure you hear everything else up to this point as well. There are times that we need to correct each other or discipline, but not judge. They can be done. This is where we talk about coaches and critics. See, Matthew 18, verse 15 and 16, it helps us out. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Now, let's just pause there for a minute. This also should clarify, because it just says between the two of you, I want to clarify, that means the conversation is just between the two of you. And then after that conversation, or prior to that conversation, you don't tell everybody else about it. And then say, let's pray for them, so it sounds spiritual. Go and point out their faults just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three. Please don't miss that last word. Witnesses. So when we look at this, When there's a discipline that's supposed to happen, we are supposed to confront one another. Now, obviously, when we hear the word confront, that sounds really aggressive. What it means is grab a coffee or a tea, sit down and talk to each other. It doesn't mean confront, let me get up in your face. Everything is done in love. Now, here's the other part that we have to realize. It talks about witnesses. So this is something that I have personally, you have personally witnessed. See, I can talk to you about a sin in your life that I have seen you do or I've heard you do, not heard from somebody else. I hear it. And when we come to talk about this, when we bring it to attention, we're speaking about the sin and we're not judging people's character. See, we're instructed to confront concerning the sins that we have observed. So I'm not going to go talk to you about something that Billy and Sue told me that was going on in your life. But we are not supposed to judge character. Judging character is God's responsibility, not ours. See, Galatians 6 verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin... You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourself so that you may not be tempted. We're supposed to restore them gently. What does that mean? If I'm going to point out a sin in your life, I'm supposed to walk with you. I'm supposed to coach you. I'm supposed to go with you. I'm supposed to restore you. If I just walked up to you and was like, hey, Chris, I see the sin in your life, I'm not helping. Because most likely, he's sitting there going, I I know. Can you help me? Uh, No. I'm not helping. If you can't take the time to help restore them, stay quiet. What do you mean we're not supposed to point it out? Not if you can't help. Not if you're going to take the time to help. 
Matthew 7, 1 to 2 says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Whatever I say about you, people will probably say about me. Whatever I criticize and judge, judge others, they will judge me. These are verses that we need to memorize to hold us accountable. Because see, many of us, we might read this verse and go, well, that's okay, Chad, because I got a pretty great life. I am born again, and my old self is gone, and the new lives, and I am a saint living for Jesus Christ, and I walk so wonderfully with him. Let me read to you what Paul wrote, just because some of us get there. 1 Corinthians 4.4, Paul says, My conscience is clear. So we may all have a clear conscience at this very moment, but he says this, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. So it doesn't matter how good I feel when I wake up on a Sunday morning and that I'm here before anybody else on a Sunday morning for church and I have a little, you know, skip to my step, a hop in my step, and when the music starts, I start worshiping right away because I don't need somebody to pull me along. the Lord judges. And again, he sees everything. Now we are called to bring correction. But correction is not judgment. Romans 14, 13 says, therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling blocks or obstacles in the way of a brother or sister. See, when we bring correction to somebody's life, when we bring one or two witnesses, those are witnesses who have observed it themselves as well. It's not, you are now a witness because I told you. They are a witness because they've seen it So what happens if they don't own up to their sin and repent? Do we just let them get away with it? Yes. Yes, you do. Well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, that's okay. Because you don't have to answer for it. Because here's the thing. If I confront and they deny, and they don't repent, and they move on with their life, and I'm the only witness, I am to remain quiet, because who is the ultimate judge? God. So here is the crazy thing about being human. And I'll use myself as an example. Do you know what I could do right now in front of you without even skipping a beat? I could lie right to you. Now before you judge me, as we're talking about judgment... So can you. And even though I know, even though you know it's a lie, we let it go. Because we are no longer responsible. And God looks after it. Because see, we have to be careful as we approach people of what we say, because here, imagine you caught your spouse or your child in a lie. Sometimes we'll say to people, hey, you're a liar. 
No, they're not a liar. We're not judging their character. The better way to say it is, hey, you, you just lied. Do you see the difference? Do you hear a difference? If I say to you, you're a liar, or if I say to you, hey, you just told a lie, even the way I say it, the way it comes across, I can't really say angrily, you just told a lie, but it just comes out naturally, you're a liar. The difference is judging character. We're responsible for the things we've seen and heard. And we confront out of love and we restore, but we leave it with God. So here's a question for you, because as we talk about our own needs, as we talk about different things and rejection, we still need to be able to tell people what our needs are. I need to be able to tell Melissa what a need is in my life without judging her, without coming across rude, without criticizing So how do we do that? We choose our words carefully. We communicate carefully. What if I was to say to Melissa, you don't love me anymore. You make me feel worthless. This one doesn't really fit, but you never write or call. What if I said it this way? And hear the difference. I don't feel loved anymore. I feel like a worthless, unimportant person. I miss it when we don't communicate regularly. Did you see how they all began? The second ones began with I. The first ones began with you. When I communicate about me... I, it lowers defenses because we're not putting the weight on somebody else. And see, the reason we need to be able to communicate this stuff is because when a basic need is not met, temptation from the enemy comes in to find that need met in alternative areas. So we need to be able to communicate. God's primary resource for meeting your needs and keeping you pure as a Christian is other believers. That's why the last year and a half has been so hard. Because you haven't been meeting with other believers. We haven't surrounded ourselves with other Christians. Now, here's the hard part. Many of us, even prior to COVID, would show up to church or small groups or connect groups wearing masks. Now we have physical ones, but we used to always wear them anyway. And we have to make sure that as Christians, as we gather together, we take off our masks, not these ones, not yet, but we take off the masks that makes it look that we have it all together and that we're strong. And we're honest with each other. That we need a little bit of encouragement. 
We need a little advice with our kids. We need a little advice with our marriage. We need a little advice with our workplace. Because this isn't a place for perfect people. If it is, you probably shouldn't have come. And if you're expecting perfection from your leadership, you should probably find another church. None of us are perfect. But we're here for each other, to build one another up. And if we're honest, we can help each other. See, any one of us with not even having Christ in our life, not needing his help, we can find defects and performance flaws in each other. But it takes the grace of God to look beyond that. Do you know it takes the grace of God to look beyond an impulsive Peter and see the rock that the church is going to be built on? It takes the grace of God to see beyond Saul, the persecutor, and to see Paul, the apostle, So as you and I live day to day with each other and with people from the church and different people around us who are less than perfect, but also see you as less than perfect. What if we pray for all of us to have God's eyes and to build each other's character up instead of judging and tearing each other down? What if we pray each day to be a coach and to look for ways to encourage one another and breathe life into each other? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for each and every one of us. Father, I thank you that you've planted each and every person in this room online for a purpose that you have wisdom for them, you have a direction for them. And Lord, that as they step into this place, I pray, Father, that they will be encouraged each day. That, Lord, we'll begin to lift each other up. We'll speak life into our families, into our church, love mem- church members, our church family, into our co-workers, into our loved ones. And that, Father, you will help us work through rejection of our past by seeing our identity in you. And I break off the lies of the enemy in Jesus' name. And that people begin to see how much you love them and that they are lovable and how much you accept them and they are worthy. And Lord, help us to breathe that into them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for checking out this week's message. Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you and that you come back and check out next week's message as well. 